seen a tremendous amount of capital uh, flowing into RAA M&A from the likes of some very well-known private equity uh, firms, most notably KKR uh, has kind of made its presence uh, known. You know, what's your opinion about, um, you know, private equity moving into this space in the way that, that they are? Well, it's without a doubt been one of the major factors in this market over the last at least three, if not four or five years. It maybe began to get traction, real traction, three, four or five years ago. Now it is uh, full steam ahead. There are dozens of uh, PE players who uh, are in, who want to get in. You mentioned KKR. Welcome to AFO Wealth Management Forward, a podcast about finance, accounting, technology, and entrepreneurship. We apply our decades worth of experience and insight into what makes businesses work so we can help others grow both personally and professionally. In this ever-evolving marketplace, we help accounting firms and financial advisors grow their practice through the adoption of holistic wealth management services. Learn from industry leaders and subject matter experts to unlock the secrets of their success. A podcast that shows people and companies the transformative power of technology so they don't fear it, but instead harness it. Don't fight the robots, team up with them. And here are your hosts, Rory Henry, Director of Business Development and CEO Rob Santos of Arrowroot Family Office. All right, Rob, we have another returning guest with us today. He is the U.S. correspondent for Family Wealth Report and contributing writer uh, for Barron's Advisors and a senior writer at Action Magazine. He covers the latest in the RIA space. Uh, We're happy to have him back on with us today. So without further ado, let me introduce our guest, Charles Pagart. Charles, welcome back to the show. Hey, thank you. Glad to be here. Charles, always a pleasure. Apologies for being late. I think we're going to talk a little bit about M&A, and I was actually just on a call <laughs> about M&A with lawyers who were, you know, a bit long-winded. Uh, so apologies for that. But, you know, I think you know know the drill here. Would love to hear more about you, Charles, for those that haven't heard you before, a little bit about your background and kind of what makes you tick, get excited about this market and our work. Well, thank you. Uh, I've been covering this space for about 15 years now. Uh, I was a business reporter previously covering uh, different businesses, retail and the cable TV business and the entertainment business. And uh, I'm really happy that I began to cover this business, the RIA business, because it's a very exciting business. There's always been a lot going on, uh, smart people, a lot of activity. Uh, I started with investment news. Uh, most recently, I was a, a staff reporter and editor at uh, Financial Planning, and I'm currently uh, writing for Barron's Advisor, Family Wealth Report, and Action Magazine, and I also write about basketball. I am the co-author of a book on the 10 Most Memorable NCAA Basketball Finals, and the title is Madness. That's Yeah, and... For for me, 1995, when UCLA beat Arkansas, was my most ah, memorable ah, title ah, game. Ah, <laughs> ah, 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 ah. It was a great game to be a Bruin. That's right. Uh, 
All right. Well, let's dive right in here, Charles. Can you talk about the latest in, in M&A activity? I mean, we're dealing with high interest rates. There's a slumping stock market, uh, inflation. There's a shaky global economy. Uh, can you kind of talk about what's going on in, in the market now? Well, surprisingly, uh, I mean, we're at might be a pivotal point in the in the M&A, RAA M&A market. Uh, up to, you know, perhaps uh, very recently, if not right up to the moment, the uh, there's still a lot of activity, uh, which some people find surprising given higher interest rates and the state of the market. Uh, I was just at an M&A conference in Chicago uh, held by David DeVoe, who's a big guru in the field and uh, a lot of influential people were there and they thought that the reason that there is still a lot of activity is indeed because of the threat of a coming recession people want to uh, make transactions while they still can while before things go much further down so you know get in while the getting's good uh and the fundamentals right now are still pretty good you know the uh rias have great recurring revenue relatively low overhead the market is still fragmented there's strong cash flow uh and the margins are high so you know there's a lot of reasons to uh get into this market and sellers of course have reasons uh to sell uh so Right now, uh, the betting is that there is a bright future ahead, uh, and they're getting they're prepared for a storm. And the big question will be, can they ride out the storm, and uh, will the bet pay off? <laughs> so that's why you're seeing current activity, but things are changing. Uh, peop, the, there, there's more selectivity. Buyers are being more selective. Uh, there's more due diligence on both sides. There is more contingency, earnouts, longer period. There's more sub acquisitions. You're seeing more activity in the 100 million to 500 million. A dollar AUM space for the uh, for the sellers uh, and the trajectory of activity is plateauing. It's still high, but it's not going up as much as previously. Which brings us to well, so what next? What what's the the question marks? And the big question mark is of course. How will higher interest rates impact the market going forward? Up to now, okay, full steam ahead. Will valuations stay the same? Up to now, still pretty good. There may be a dip, but still pretty high. But higher interest rates, a very uh, fraught market, which of course translates to uh, lower AUM, lower revenue, that could take a toll. Yeah, that that makes total sense. And, you know, Charles, we've seen 
a tremendous amount of capital uh, flowing into RAA M&A from the likes of some very well-known private equity uh, firms, most notably KKR uh, has kind of made its presence uh, known. You know, what's your opinion about, um, you know, private equity moving into this space in the way that, that they are? Well, it's without a doubt been one of the major factors in this market over the last at least three, if not four or five years. It maybe began to get traction, real traction, three, four or five years ago. Now it is uh, full steam ahead. There are dozens of uh, PE players who uh, are in, who want to get in. You mentioned KKR, Carlisle Group, Oak Hill, TA Associates, Thomas A. Lee, Bain Capital, big name, Stone Point Capital, uh, GTC are on and on and on. So they are providing the capital to make a lot of things happen. They are certainly boosted uh, valuations. Uh, they are providing uh, knowledge, uh, professional help with professional management. Uh, arguably, you know, really uh, boosting the business in a very positive way. You know, they've had a previous reputation in other industries as asset strippers and uh, you know, not the good guys. That has not happened here so far. Uh, they are more or less <laughs> the good guys because they've got a lot of money. They've helped the industry grow. They've made a lot of people wealthy. Uh, so, so far, so good. What's in it for them? Well, obviously, they, they want a return on their investment. They think they can get a three-time return on their investment over roughly five years, which is pretty good for them. And, you know, uh, uh, arguably good for the seller as well. Uh, they feel they can get an internal rate of return, 30 to 50 percent. That's also pretty good. And they feel they can uh, have multiple arbitrage. You know, they buy at, let's say, 10, but because, well, the firms that they have invested in, let's let's be clear, they are primarily uh, minority investors with a big stake in big consolidators. In fact, all the major consolidators have PE backing, so they can come in and buy something that seems to be a premium. Oh, it's 10 or 12. Well, if you integrate well, and then it's part of this bigger juggernaut, it really now is worth uh, 18 times, let's say. So it's a very nice uh, arbitrage. So uh, they are, uh, they're highly motivated, but you know, they're also looking at some uh, stormy weather, some challenges because they also, uh, you know, use a lot of leverage and you know, this is maybe not the best time for that. So they may be tapping the brakes, uh, but so far, no real sign of that. Yeah. And I read in one of your articles, Charles, I think you said when the dust settles, there will only be a few large consolidators out there serving, you know, 80 or 90 percent of the market. Can, can you talk about that? That's one of the big, big questions in the industry right now. Uh, some people feel that it is uh, inevitable that uh, 
you are going to have the consolidators consolidate. Just to back up a second, I mean, we are seeing consolidation among, let's say, a dozen to maybe a bit more, two dozen at most, bigger firms who are buying smaller and what's now called considered mid-sized firms. You know, so you have the Mercers and the Focuses and the Cap Trusts and the Beacon Points. You have those big firms who are getting bigger and bigger market share, but it's still a fragmented market. And we haven't seen one big guy merge with another one. That has not happened yet. Uh, and that's going to be the other shoe that will drop. Some people feel it may be too early, especially now. It may be put on hold with what's going on in the markets and higher interest rates. Or that may be a spur to something happening. Who knows? But uh, that's the that that's the question. We've yeah. seen consolidation among a dozen to two dozen big firms. Will they start to consolidate? Maybe people are expecting it. Hasn't happened yet. Yeah, that kind of brings me back to our uh, interview last year with this CI Financial Group, uh, where they were basically gangbusters buying up all these RIAs. Do you have an update on on, on them and an analysis of of uh, what they've done? Yes, big story. Uh, in addition to as we mentioned, PE being the major story in the industry over the last few years. Uh, CI Financial was arguably, you know, the other major story, certainly in 20 and 21. They went from, you know, metaphorically zero to 60 and uh, figuratively, literally, they bought, uh, a, I believe, around 30 firms uh, in 20 and 21. Unprecedented, never happened before. They wanted in, they were willing. Yeah. And to what was the of- amount in AUM? Oh, gosh. I mean, they're about a hundred billion, I believe. Yeah. 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 Uh, So, you know, they wanted in. They were willing to pay. People felt they were paying premiums. They were paying a lot of cash. Yeah, they didn't care. They wanted in. However, this Uh year. However. (laughs) However, I believe that they've only made two deals so far this year. Maybe Mm. one or two more that I'm missing, but I think. Certainly only a few, and I think it only it may be only two so far, which is obviously quite a drop off. Uh, they are also highly leveraged. As we said, they pay premiums. Their stock price has not been doing well. They have really tapped the brakes. They said they were going to do an IPO by the end of the year uh, to sell off 20% of their U.S. wealth management. We have to check to see what the latest is with that, but uh, no signs of that coming to market right now. Uh, They need to integrate these firms that they bought. Uh, So they are right now another question mark. You know, are are the shareholders really happy? Are they really going to go ahead with this? Well, they better start integrating and um, they certainly aren't buying right now. Yeah. You know, Charles, I don't know if you saw, but Arrowroot Family Office was highlighted in the Charles Schwab benchmark uh, research report as as one of the more successful small firms doing M and A 
in this market. And Diane Young, one of our managing directors, is actually speaking at Schwab Impact on the M&A panel as a counterbalance to the private equity. Um, and you know, one thing that we are seeing in the market as far, and we're going to talk about this next, is how do smaller firms compete? Is that what we're seeing in the market is a lot of the smaller firms that have sold to a lot of these aggregators are finding that their new owners need a return on investment in three to five years. And so there's some very tough decisions to be made in order to try to get that return on investment. And with the downturn here, that might be cutting staff, that may, uh, you know, different types of growth initiatives, um, you know, making very hard decisions if that's cross-selling decisions that uh, a lot of these large private equity firms are trying to enter into. Um, and we see this as a tremendous opportunity for the counterbalance of private equity um, in the next year or two, uh, because, you know, I think you've probably seen it. A major reason people got into the RA industry is freedom, entrepreneurial, relationship, and that seems to be a, a big counterbalance to the private equity must get return on investment in three to five years. Are, are you feeling that in that market between in the market right now, that tension between the smaller entrepreneurial kind of freedom spirit versus return on, on investment in three to five years? Yeah, it's certainly um, uh, a, a source of tension. It's a it's a. Uh, uh, a juncture that people have to really uh, make a decision about. In fairness, the one thing that really we have not seen emerge is cost cutting. They, you know, they need talent. They need to put in money. They need to put, uh, you know, the boost resources, and they're doing it. So that's not been an issue. However, you know, turnover in terms of who who owns the uh, the firm is an issue and you know to your point about smaller companies doing well in MA, you know there is an you know there is an opportunity for them there, there is a, a a path for them uh you know they're constrained by capital perhaps and they don't have the big MA machine but but uh you know they can use their size as a virtue in terms of a more welcoming and fraternal culture, uh, more entrepreneurial, uh, offering people an opportunity to grow and to be part of something where they have more of a say instead of being firm number, you know, 307, you know, just <laughs> down the line, just another number. Uh, so they, I think, have, uh, a path to entice and to attract people who are thinking of selling or you know going to another firm uh, that they can say they have something that bigger firms don't, uh, and that can be quite attractive. Yeah, it seems like that you can have more autonomy and, and maybe a seat at the table. Right. Right. joining the, the senior management exactly. team is attractive. That's it. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah, you know, the, um, you know, on the talent side, and this ties to something we, I think we talked to last time, is um, this great resignation, which is happening 
for with all baby boomers across all different industries, but in financial services in particular, there doesn't seem to be on the CPA side and on the CFP or wealth management side enough young hands to take over for the uh, older generation. It seems that um, you know the opportunities here are kind of twofold. Uh, you know, one is consolidation, maximizing a profit, consolidating operations, and and cost cutting. Um, the other is is kind of cross selling, which we're seeing uh, a lot of new regulation coming out to make that even and more difficult. And then the last one, which is kind of the elephant in the room, is software and technology. So you know, how how have you seen that the emergence of software and technology into this landscape for for M and A? You know, the robo advisors really had their 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 moment in the sun, I think probably, you know, about 10 years ago up to about five years ago. And it seems to be shifting into this uh, hybrid model of software working with with humans. Um, you know, how do you see that fitting into the M&A landscape? And do you, you know, do you foresee the future of all robots? No, 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 no. Clearly, uh, you know, while robo certainly has a place um, in terms of a uh, you know, the RIAs as we know them, obviously they've uh, invested in digital, they've invested in technology, but clearly uh, the the model going forward seems to be uh, a hybrid of uh, human and digital and human being extremely important. And frankly, I would say even more important in a way than technology because you can always buy technology. So yeah, money's an issue, obviously. But you know, even if you're one step behind the latest, is it really, you know, are you really that far behind? Uh, no, you're not, you're, you can do fine. But uh, you can't just buy talent. That's hard to get. You've got to get someone to want to come over. And it's a, you know, it's a supply demand issue. <laughs> there is a, a great demand and a much more limited supply. It's not even the resignation. You know, it's not, yes, in terms of age, maybe, uh, you know, older advisors just, just retiring, but it's not like people are leaving. It's a great business. That's not, it's a, I mean, resigning, uh, quitting. We're not seeing that. Uh, we're just seeing a need because the industry is growing and they need people. And again, you can always buy technology, but to get the, the human talent that is the shortage of which is the, one of the biggest issues uh, in the business, you're seeing uh, a lot of people, I wrote about this for Barron's Advisor, you're seeing a lot of people doing whatever they can. So that's gonna include, you know, really going into colleges, uh, offering better benefits, outbidding the competition, good old, uh, hey, I'll, I'll give you more money. Going into other industries, looking for people who uh, wanna switch uh, industries, offering more equity, uh, being more flexible about working at home, working at the office, uh, you know, casting a wide net on social media, using, of course, more uh, executive search firms, using your uh, contacts, your centers of influence, and uh, offering more incentives uh, in terms of 
uh, salary. And just to get back to technology, they also have to have to attract, especially younger people, they have to have good technology. They have to have, you know, a website has to be up to date and they need to be diverse. You know, people, uh, I think maybe overlook that a little bit, even though it's, it's certainly in the news, but, uh, especially I think younger people, millennials, uh, you know, don't want to be in a homogenous environment. Yeah. And, and I think that diversity is a, is a huge aspect, not just for, you know, ethical, uh, and moral type of reasons, but, you know, you see all of the statistics that a lot of the generational wealth leaves a wealth management firm. If you don't do a good enough job to have those relationships with the children who maybe now have grown up with relationships of Robin hood or, you know, apps and things and things like that. Um, so even if there isn't a great resignation, there seems to be a push to try to capture that younger base of Absolutely. clients, um, you Absolutely. know, sooner, sooner rather, rather than later. Um, you know, are you seeing in the marketplace things, uh, some of these large aggregators start to shift towards some newer products in the market, such as crypto or NFT or gamification, or is that really just a, a side product of, um, of the core business at hand? Not really. I have not seen that as any kind of a, uh, you know, marketing tool like, oh, we do, we really do crypto well, or, I mean, you know, I'm guessing, you know, advisors obviously are now more knowledgeable about it, but I haven't seen any promotion of it as, hey, you should come to us because, you know, we really know crypto, we really know you know, all the other things that are involved, ETFs and everything else. Uh, so, no, I, it's more just, you know, very basic uh, financial planning, you know, being able to handle the market, even if it's not specific investments. But um, I haven't seen the crypto stuff in particular. Then, yeah, go ahead. Oh, oh, I was just going to say, you know, one issue that we run into quite a lot, especially for firms that we're talking to about potential M&A, and a major concern that they have is compliance, the um, increased compliance requirements um, and thresholds that are um, starting to be instituted on RIAs. Obviously, the larger firms, that's that's a big carrot uh, for folks to go to some of that. You know, have, have you seen, um, you know, any kind of hints from the SEC or from the regulators one way or another on how they view this kind of M&A activity in, in the RAA marketplace? They don't, they don't seem particularly concerned. You know, it's not like, um, you know, with the big tech companies, you know, Microsoft or Google buying such and such and, oh, they're, you know, they're dominating the market. It could be illegal. The Justice Department steps in or anything like that. The, the SEC doesn't seem to be, you know, that uh, concerned about because again, it's still so fragmented. I mean, one of the I was just at the DeVoe conference in Chicago, and I think it was Rush Benton from CapTrust who said, you know, we're 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 a small business. I mean, you know, they're not really because they have billions of dollars under assets, but in terms of you know the big guys and the Fortune 500, 
he's right. You know, it's not like, oh, you know, they're dominating the market. What do they have? You know, market share is for all of them is single digits. So, you know, that that that's not a concern. But, you know, the smaller firms, to your point about compliance, on the one hand, you know, it is an attraction of joining a bigger firm. You don't have to worry about it as much. But really, really, is it that much of a concern, certainly for a, a middle sized firm that's close to 500 million in assets? You can you can outsource that. It's not like it's a, a game changer, I don't think. And, and you've got to assume that the SEC and the regulators see it as a as a benefit um, because if there's consolidation, that means they've got less firms to have to police, right? So consolidation <laughs> at some point is makes their life a little bit easier in that they're maybe not doing a million audits, they're only doing 500,000 uh, audits. I hadn't thought of it that way, um, but perhaps. <laughs> so there's, there's got to be some sort of, of, of benefit there. Sorry, Rory, you had a question. Go ahead. Uh, no, no, go ahead, Rob. I, I'm, I think he answered it. Well, you know, so, so I, I think I think you've said this in kind of your uh, initial, which is, you know, this M&A steamroller seems to not be losing too much steam. You know, you know, what do you what do you foresee in the next year to two years um, in tandem to some of some of these risks? Do you think there is a slowdown if the market continues to dr to draw down, interest rates start to go up, or do you think there's just so much capital that is focused on this industry right now that this is really kind of tailwinds um, for the next three to five years? That is, that's the question. It really, really is. You can make arguments for both sides. You know, before, you know, in, in 20 and 21, every time I would ask people, well, what could slow this down? Oh my God, what a juggernaut. Gee, no, no end in sight. Well, you know, if there's high interest rates, yeah, that, that could do it. Well, okay, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> high interest rates. They're only going high, higher. Higher. For, you know, <laughs> super high. But, you know, and that, I think everybody's waiting to see. Like, okay, you know, oh, cost of capital is so cheap. That's why everybody can do this. Well, it's not so cheap anymore. On the other hand, you've got a lot of uh, sellers who want liquidity. You've got a lot of uh, succession planning issues. The fundamentals appear to be good but again then we come into a who knows scenario black swan yeah everybody hopes that even if there's a recession okay we get through it but there could be a war in europe which could be like really really bad so that could be devastating uh we hope not of course but it's, you know, you listen, you, you listen to the news now and people are talking about nuclear weapons. Wow. So who knows? It's, it's really, it's really up in the air. All right. Well, it's up in the air. We'll leave it uh, on a cliffhanger there uh, until we have Charles on again, probably next year with another update. Charles, I want to thank you so much for coming back on the show. If people want to read uh, your articles, what's the best way to do so? Uh, Twitter, at Paykert, P-A-I-K-E-R-T. Uh, my LinkedIn page, I post all my, I link all my uh, stories that have been posted uh, to those two social media outlets. And again, uh, Barron's Advisor, Family Wealth Report, and uh, Action Magazine. All right. Wonderful. Put all that really in the show notes. Thank you very much. Real pleasure. All right.
Take care. Thanks. All opinions expressed by Rob Santos and Rory Henry on this website podcast interview are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Arrowroot Family Office LLC or their parent company or affiliates and may have been previously disseminated on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by anyone as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of their opinions. Past performance is not indicative of future results.